and a front. Releasing his prey, the beast shook the sickle from his great head, turned and in a second was again a shadow amongst the grasses. The crumpled body of Putley lay at her mother's feet. Simla, May 1922 Ambling down the mall, Joe Sanderlands steered his sweating hireling through the thickening crowds to return it to the stables at the Chummery, enjoying, as always, the early morning sounds of the waking town. Simla, the summer capital of British India, rose early and went about its business at a brisk pace. Uniformed men were striding between the military establishments along the mall, red-coated chaprasis. Message boxes on hips were speeding from post office to government buildings, their energy fueling the flow of information spreading out from this unremarkable street and pulsing around the world. Joe shook his head, half in admiration, half in disbelief. The eccentric little town, perched in the Himalayan foothills, halfway between the scorching plains of India and the frozen summits of the Tibetan mountains, looked like nothing so much as a displaced godalming. And yet, between March and November, the mighty British Empire was governed from here, and that meant half the world, Joe supposed, conjuring up a memory of the pink-coloured lands he'd studied on his globe as a child. Already the first nursemaids, pushing baby carriages down the street, were greeting each other, their fluting voices a treble accompaniment to the distant pounding of marching feet. As he wove through the purposeful crowds, Joe felt a stab of puritanical guilt to be at leisure when this small world was at work. Not all of this small world, though. He took comfort in the thought that his own temporary lack of occupation was as nothing to the endemic sloth he would find at the house he was about to visit. Eight o'clock. The four inhabitants of the Chamoli would most certainly be still in bed, sleeping off whatever had been the indulgence of the previous night, or, at best, tremulously astir. With any luck, he would be able to sneak off back to the residence without announcing himself. But then he remembered that there was in his pocket a telegram. He had been charged by Sir George Jardine, his host, the acting governor of Bengal, to deliver this to Edgar Troop. Edgar, the leader of the louche coterie that inhabited the once grand house on Mount Pleasant, earned his position in the group by being the oldest, the most enterprising, and the most unscrupulous. Unaccountably, he seemed to have Sir George's confidence. He did not have Joe's confidence, and though they had stood shoulder to shoulder in dangerous circumstances in the wilderness, with that instinctive understanding and trust that two military men fighting towards the same objective experience— Joe found Captain Troop enigmatic, his style of living repellent. When he asked himself why he continued to spend more than a polite five minutes with the man, he had to admit that Edgar's cheerful cynicism and his appetite for life were ultimately seductive. You'll be returning your horse to the chamery. Well now, when you get there, I'd like you to deliver this to Edgar in person, Sir George had said. Don't entrust it to anyone else in that hopeless establishment. Why? I don't often call at the Chamery, but the last time I did so, there were two telegrams on the mantelpiece. One was a year old, and the other, God damn it, was nearly two years old, both unopened, and one was from me. 
This could be important, and I don't want it to go astray. Joe didn't want to do this. He knew that if he was intercepted, it would be nearly impossible to avoid a second breakfast, leading to a drink or two, a morning of inconsequential gossip, shading off into tiffin, and imperceptibly into an afternoon moving lethargically round the snooker table. He wondered whether, if he rode round the back, he could hand his horse over, leave the telegram with a servant, and make a discreet withdrawal, and this he resolved to try. To no avail. He had hardly turned into the compound before a window banged open and a cheerful voice summoned, Must have smelled the coffee, Sanderlands! Hospitably, the beaming face of Jackie Carlyle appeared at the window. Come on board and tell us the latest news. You who have the ear of the great and good must have something interesting to tell us in this otherwise uneventful town.